0: G'day there, I'm Adam Spencer, and welcome to Telstra Behind the Mic. My guest for this episode is IT business and infrastructure solutions guru, Fraser Shields. Fraser's worked with some of the biggest names in the corporate world to deliver and implement technical transformation and strategies across a wide range of industries globally. His current role is with the Downer Group, the leading provider of integrated business services in Australia and New Zealand. Downer designs, builds and sustains assets, infrastructure and facilities. Think bridges, desalination plants, hospitals. And they've recently partnered with Telstra Purple to trial augmented reality solutions in the area of preventative maintenance. A huge, and I think quite sexy topic that we'll unravel in this chat. And I did note from my research brief that Fraser lists a particular career highlight as, quote, orchestrating the technology infrastructure for the 2015 ICC Cricket World Cup. Now, I'll be honest, that sounds a little bit heavy on the geek speak for me, Fraser. I'll definitely be asking some questions around that later. So, Fraser Shields, welcome to Telstra Behind the Mic. Thanks, Adam. Glad to be here. Now, now, Downer Group, it's a fascinating organisation. It's been around for 150 years with assets, as my introduction suggested, that touch on so many different parts of our daily lives that you just take for for granted. You've been with the company for about three years. What's the role you're playing in driving strategic IT and
1: innovation projects at Downer? Yes, I guess um, making the magic happen. Um, I'm all about <laughs> working with the business to turn their problems into opportunities. And um, a colleague of mine has referred to my function as the dreamers, dreaming up new ideas while he needs to keep the business running. So, I think you know the key the key to this is is understanding some of these business problems, getting out and getting in amongst you know a raft of different people within the business uh yeah, so becoming a, a trusted advisor and generating value, so I think um you know bringing i t agility to the business is a good thing um i think Traditionally, um, you know, everything needed to go via IT. You needed something and, and IT was the place to go. And, and these days, I think it's very different. You know, there's, there's people can go and sign up for trials of things, you know, put things on a credit card. And, and there are a lot more um, uh, citizen developers, in a sense, that can go off and do stuff. So it's about sort of that balance between, I guess, keeping the guardrails, um, so we don't go off course in keeping everything safe and secure, uh, but also being able to work with them to try things and and um, try things quickly. So I think, you know, going back to, to the motto of the business being relationships creating success, and I, um, I believe that. I mean, if you talk about dreamy ideas, a few years ago,
0: if you were talking to someone who managed hard assets like a bridge or a stretch of road, and you suggested that augmented reality solutions would play a role in... In fixing those hard, solid assets, that would have been a dream, but this sort of stuff is reality these days. Tell us about the AR link in the maintenance business. What, what was what was your when, when you first started the project? Where were you at, and what what were the drivers that made you want to work with Telstra Purple on something like this?
1: Yeah, so we actually um, there was another project we were working on with Telstra Purple at the time, and and due to COVID restrictions. Um, you know, a lot of the team from the downer side was Melbourne based and the Telstra team was, was Sydney based. So we couldn't get people out to an Asheville plant. So we got sent to HoloLens so we could do a virtual tour. And I guess off the back of that it got us thinking about potential other opportunities um in the in the maintenance space of the of the roads business that we could explore. So, you know, we kicked off uh a a virtual sort of design thinking workshop with sort of a range of different stakeholders across the business uh, and sort of landed on two key focus areas, one around using that sort of remote assist HoloLens type technology and the second around enabling field workers to complete inspections and maintenance tasks using, um, you know, spatial anchors and, and you know, I guess enabling that person in the field just to have all that data at their fingertips and make some of those regular routine tasks easier for them to
0: complete. Okay, so let's go back a step for the non-geeks in the audience. Hololens. If I'm as an individual doing something with Hololens, what is my experience? What happens?
1: Yeah, so I guess the, it's a it's a mixed reality headset. So uh, it allows you to you know basically keep your hands free you're out in the field and and it's a platform that allows you to um, you know you can build work instructions you can have all your um, sort of tasks that you can just use your finger and sort of point to the the virtual screen uh, and carry on keeping your hands free so you know things like being able to dial in a supervisor so you're out doing a task and you're not sure or you get stuck you can dial in uh, they can see what you can see through the cameras and the lens, um, and also mark up the screen so uh, at their end, so you can see um, what they're trying to articulate to you. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty clever. That's wonderful.
0: That's the area of augmented reality. So I'm looking at the real world, but I'm having stuff added in over the top to augment what I see. But you can also go into this space of complete virtual, can't you? The idea of digital twins where you create digitally a replica of something in the real world and do your testing on it first before you go and work on the actual hard-bodied asset. Is that, is that the idea of a digital twin?
1: Yeah, it's actually really clever because uh, obviously not everyone, uh, in fact, very few people have got enough money to virtually build something or or build a complete real-life replica. Uh, so being able to, to build a, a virtual twin of something and then... Allowing a sensor information and um, the ability to sort of drill through assets um, really gives you um, extra insights that you don't necessarily always get. And you can try things, um, you know, make changes, run simulations, try something else until you've sort of found that sweet spot before you actually go out into the real world and deploy some of these things. So it's. Um, it's clever. With what the work you've done so far has shown, what 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 are the biggest payoffs from
0: doing business in this this new digital fashion?
1: Going digital and and giving people access to information no matter wherever they are um, on any device at any time, I think is one of the key things. You know, it's, it's gone are the days that you need to you know be hooked up to a, a network and be based in the back room of an office to to plot away on some of this stuff. I think um, that's changed, and, and things like you know covid over the past 12 months has really fast tracked some of this um, enablement what are some of the challenges you face moving a
0: traditional large hard asset business like downer into this sort of modern cloud-based way of operating was was it was it an easy sell was it an easy transition or are there some genuine obstacles
1: oh, it's a bit of both um, and i think it's it's starting small on some of these things and uh, just getting people comfortable because we've i mean we've got a range of people that are you know from cadets right through to you know people in their late sixties so and there's varying levels of i guess i t skill across that group so you know even some of the more basic things like sort of using power apps and and workflows to make digital forms and processes you know there's still a a large sort of change management piece. Um, to get people comfortable with that and then using tablets for doing their job rather than, you know, forms and pieces of paper. So I think it's, it's really about taking those people on the journey, um, working through some of the challenges with them so that, you know, they feel they're part of the process. So it's not something that, you know, senior managers or IT are sort of imposing on them. Uh, it's something they're they're interested in and where everyone's sort of helping each other along the journey.
0: And I guess it goes both ways, doesn't it? Because for every you know, person in their mid-50s who's not particularly au okay with doing it all on a tablet, you're bringing in your next tranche of engineers and maintenance people and things like that who've lived their entire lives digitally and, and, and probably can't understand the idea of getting an old paper form out and signing it and sending it off to someone on another level to get them to tick that same piece of paper. So there's, you know, the, the, the tension can just as much go the other way if organisations like Downer don't embrace the future, I presume
1: yeah agree, and I think um until people really start sort of getting into stuff and you know a form i guess is a relatively simple thing to digitize uh and you know I think people sometimes think that you know creating a a paper form in, in Excel uh, is digital. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you start to sort of unpack that a bit more with them um, and and say using something like like Power Apps and, and Workflows um, to do automation and, and pre-populating forms with information that's already known, like, you know, name, phone number, email address, et cetera, you know, it one, it, it allows you to get that sort of consistent level of information through um, and you're not getting, you know, nicknames and things. Um, mm-hmm. And two, it just takes... Um, some of the time out of doing these sort of routine tasks, you know, because you, you can focus on the, you know, the checklist or the, or the key components um, that you need to capture information on rather than sort of the, the admin pieces of a process. And also, I'd assume in an organisation like Downer, a lot of the work you're doing
0: is in spaces where health and safety is a massive concern and it might be highly regulated in terms of safety protocols and who has access to certain sites and things being ticked off by certain individuals or agencies before they can be done they're potentially quite bureaucratic processes. And if, if moving to digital modelling speeds that up, uh, you know, by, by multiples, that that can only help the efficiency
1: of, of your people actually getting out in the field and getting stuff done as quickly as possible. Oh, I totally agree. So for things like, you know, a permit, a hot works permit, or a confined space type thing, and there's you just multiple sign-off points, you know, taking that process and, and streamline it in a digital fashion just means that people can... Uh, upload the information, get the relevant sign-offs, and and get on with the task um, a lot quicker than what you would have done, you know, pre this sort of technology, where it would have been sort of running around trying to get people to sign off a bit of paper. Now I'm talking with Fraser Shields. Uh, he's from Downer. He's an infrastructure solutions guru at the Downer
0: Group. And and Fraser, one of the realities for nerds like you and I is that we get excited by some stuff that maybe not everyone in the community does. I want to touch on the really sexy topic of preventative maintenance. And I know there's a lot of people out there who, when they hear about a new policy that might reduce the likelihood of a water pipe bursting or something like that, they don't think that's the sexiest thing they've ever heard. But the idea of preventative maintenance, and I know this is a space where Downer's really working in, I I find just, just thrilling. Talk us through the concept of preventative maintenance and give us an example of why that sort of stuff's so important with the sort of assets that you guys manage.
1: Yeah, it's actually a really fascinating area. And, and obviously prior to joining down I didn't have much exposure in this space. But but when you start to get involved with uh, you know, sort of the data analytics type people and some of these engineer people, it's um with the right data, you can do all sorts of things with it. So, you know, just because a, a part needs to be replaced every, you know, X number of hours doesn't necessarily mean that Um, you know, it might not fail beforehand or that, you know, two years later, um, you could still be running the same part. So there's a lot of work that has to go on up front on this preventative maintenance side with, you know, oodles of data from sensors and, and, and all sorts of things before you can actually sort of make those educated decisions. So it's not something that you can just sort of, you know, flick a switch and, right, we're going to do preventative maintenance now.
0: Yeah, I had a wonderful chat with someone from Sydney Water and they explained that, you know, when, when when a water pipe bursts, there's there's nothing more inconvenient, and it always tends to happen during the morning peak hour, and it always tends to happen near a major intersection and destroy a big chunk of road as well, and thousands of people don't have access to water, and the road's ruined, and there's peak hour, blah, blah. Now, if you're running sensors across your water network and getting an indication that a certain section of the piping is moving into a bit of a red zone just in terms of how much it's, it, you know... contracting and expanding when water's going through it or whatever the data points, hey, you might want to get down there on the weekend and just better safe than sorry, replace this. If across the course of a few years, you're avoiding a few major blackouts or water pipe explosions or things like that, the the costs and the cost flow onto the community at large is, is actually really quite significant, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is. It's um, And then, you know, if you've got that, that pretty warning of you're sort of in this window of needing to, to replace something, whether it's a pipe or, or, or roading, you can plan your other activities around that. And you might be able to do two or three things in the one go rather than um, having to react at uh, short notice to to an incident because something's uh, broken. Now, one of the few topics I find even sexier than preventative
0: maintenance, uh, Fraser, is cricket and you did work at the 2015 cricket
1: world cup tell us a little bit about your role there yes that was um it was quite an interesting role i mean it's a company that you that started from nothing and goes back to nothing with sort of in a in a 2 year window so hmm. i guess from an it point of view um setting up something like that's uh it's different to what you normally do. Um, and a lot of the work that I did there was, was up front. So I was managing the, the the business side. So all of the staff, volunteers, um, you know, having all of that infrastructure and services in place to support the event. Um, yeah, my work was done early, whereas um, a lot of the event-style people um, were running around at the event. So... Um, yeah, yeah it's very interesting, and you uh, I got to see you know quite a bit of the country, and uh, you know, being a Kiwi, it was quite good to see the uh, the um, the Kiwi team in the final, even though we didn't do overly well.
0: I, I'm, I'm happy to go through the final for as long as you want. I presume you'd want to move on from that quite quickly, but but, but <laughs> and, the, and the, the, I mean, the thing I find fascinating in the space now of of sport and data, it, it, it just the sheer level of analytics that's going on in sporting events these days. My pet sport is AFL. And after a game, I can you can hop on something like the Telstra Tracker and get individual data on players. I can find out which of my players ran the fastest in the entire. Oh, Braden Campbell ran at 32.4 kilometres an hour on that particular sprint. I can look at the heat map of a player and see where they are effective, where they got their disposal. You can line up two players who are marking each other in the big sort of matchup of the game and get analytics on how that individual battle within the entire game. So you're producing data in sport these days that that is used by the clubs to analyse and go about their coaching and strategy. It's used by the AFL to determine rule changes and how the game's being marketed and that sort of stuff. It's used by individual fans to curate the way they want to engage with the game. When you look at the world of sports broadcasting these days, compared to 20, even 10 or 5 years ago... I sometimes stop and, and,
1: and pinch myself. It's an amazing world, Fraser, isn't it? Oh, it is. And I think, um, you know, we're big on this journey as well at the moment of being able to use that data at a, an enterprise level and an operational level to start making decisions and, and bringing, uh, I guess, first you need to get your ducks in order so that the is in a, in a structured manner. But once you've got that and then you start putting different data sets together, um, it's amazing what you can actually pull out. Um, and you can really deep dive into things that you might not have actually even thought about until you start putting a few of these data sets together. It's interesting. So obviously, you're, you're
0: evangelical on this. It's, this is not a hard sell for you. But in in a large organisation, something like Down to convince them to embark on truly ambitious projects like this, when there must be a little bit of, let's just keep doing it the way we've always done it. That's inherent in any sort of large organisation. What, what What do you need when you know the technology is good how what do you need to be able to prove the value of the technology in advance and and what sort of role does a technology partner like Telstra play in helping
1: you make that sell and commit the organization to to go in that direction? yeah well, I think it goes back to, to what I said earlier too like you have to become that that trusted person within the business and across the business from your your leadership level right down to your you people out in the field so I think that's the first piece, um, and then from there, it's once you've sort of understood some of these problems, it's about starting small. Like, you know, lumping everything into a project, is, you know, becomes expensive, uh, and the chances of you know getting someone to give you a million dollars to go and prove some things is uh, you know probably slim to none. Um, but if you can pick out a couple of things, and you know you're at the lower end of the scale, um, you're more likely to get the buy-in, and I think having the likes of Telstra Purple there, they've got a range of expertise that we can bring in for some of these crazy ideas that we're wanting to try um, and get to that state of fast fail. So it's either going to work and we're going to put more effort into it and and commit some more funds, or we close that one off and move on to the next thing. But I think, you know, that's something we don't have internally. Um, So the ability to to leverage those skills... um, from from our partners is is key. Okay, so here we are in 2021. It's been quite a journey
0: already. Some of the technology you're telling me about is really exciting stuff and and radically different to the way business was done three years, five years ago in this organisation. But you'd be at the forefront, wanting to con- continue to push with the with the technology and the potential that you see coming down the pipeline with things like the 5G network, for example. What opportunities lie ahead? for Downer in you know, 2021 and, and, and looking forward
1: from there, Fraser? Yes, I think connectivity is going to be key. Uh, you know, there's, there's solutions that you can still work offline, but I think, you know, as the network grows and the likes of 5G come along, I think that's really going to change the traditional office where we need to put in uh, fixed networks. So that will allow us to, to start up and, and stop projects um, quicker. And I think for, for those projects, we might be doing a longer stretch of road or, or piping, you know, to pick up and move the side office, you know, to 10, 20 k's up the road, um, you know, it can be done that day um, and you're good to go again. You're not, you're not having to rely on, on networks to be reconnected. Um, as long as you've got power, uh, your 5G device is on and you're, uh, you're back working again.
0: One of the spaces, one of the issues that that becomes really interesting for a large organisation like yourself, with everyone working from head office through to site office, through to in the field, through to really remote locations, uh, is around the concept of the edge and edge computing. This This is an area that's sort of, from what I understand, coming down the pipeline and people are quite... Excited about in the cloud space? Can you can you explain to me what edge computing is about? Is it the sort of thing that will eventually be where down or will be looking to play?
1: Yes, I think that there's definitely going to be areas where we're going to explore that. I think with the digital twins project, we were wanting to um, leverage that capability to do um, processing of uh, live video feeds to provide real time alerting for for incidents or, or potential incidents uh, within our business and i think just having that capability there so you can start processing things and automating things um super fast um without sort of drowning in network link or or, you know going back a few years ago where this wasn't possible and you'd have people you know manually sitting there you know watching video feeds or or doing this processing manually Mm. um it's it's pretty exciting to see what's going to turn up in the next you know 2 to 3 years in the space.
0: Okay, so it's it's all good where you are mate. You're here at the at, at the edge pushing the envelope for people listening, for digital IT leaders listening to this podcast who really want to get their organizations on board with these sort of these sort of uh, policies, these these sort of technologies, these sort of you know deep partnerships with an organization like Telstra Purple what's your advice? Where where should people start if they're not as far along this journey as
1: you and the good people at Downer are? So I think it's with the people to start with, you know, understand, I guess, your pain points of your business um, and and at all sorts of levels, not just at the, the exact type level. Um, and then, I guess, pick out some of those problem areas um, and start small to try and explore them, um, you know, spending the time up front to really understand the problem from multiple points of view. Uh, before you get started just avoids that sort of retrofitting a, a solution to a problem, which, you know, can sometimes happen in this space with the uh, the shiny object or the you know, the new bit of tech that comes out. So, um, and I think the other key would probably be just with the agility. Um, you know, keep things moving along, keep the pace up, you know, short and sharp. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you, you cut corners and you don't write things down or, or to that extent just to get something done quicker. But um, yeah, Start. Uh, the best thing you can do is start and do something um, rather than, than waiting for, for something else to come along. You might not get it right all the time or or first time, but doing something um, and, and failing is better than not doing something at all in my point of view. Very
0: exciting news in the world of sport. Just recently announced the official cities where the games will be played in the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup of football being shared between New Zealand and and Australia. And of course in twenty twenty three as well. You've got the World Cup of cricket in India, October, November twenty twenty three, the World Cup of football earlier on in that year. They will both need very high quality IT people doing their sort of setup. Any chance, Fraser, you're gonna be asking the good people at Downer for a say eight month sabbatical around the beginning of twenty twenty three, book ended by the Women's World Cup and the Men's World Cup?
1: Wow, well, it's uh it was definitely a fun time during that <laughs> yeah. tournament and um I think now with um, two little ones at home, my <laughs> wife would um, probably kill me if I disappeared to the other side of the world for eight months. Right, so you might be, you might be streaming those bad boys on the device of your choice. Yes, I think that, that's more, much more likely.
0: Fraser, it's been a fascinating conversation. It's really interesting, the stuff you're doing at Down to. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today on Telstra, Behind the Mic. Great. Thanks, Adam. It was great to chat.